Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business of Design podcast. You're in the right place if you're an interior design professional. Uh, We've got advice that will help you create a business that not only survives, but thrives. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden, brought to you by Business of Design, a coaching community for independent designers like you. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. As we are nearing 2018, we thought we would shake things up a little bit today and do something different. So I have the fabulous Cheryl Horn on the line. How are you, Cheryl? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So what we thought we might do, Cheryl is first line of defense on business of design. A lot of you may know this already. If you write into us, very often it's Cheryl, sometimes it's Isoon, who will get back to you with a response. And Cheryl, therefore, gets all the questions that you guys have before I even see them. So Cheryl's idea was to uh, throw some of the most popular questions about flat fees at me for this episode. So this episode is going to be all about flat fees. Uh, We are, can you believe it? We are on episode number 39 already. It seems like yesterday we launched the podcast and here we are approaching number 40, Cheryl. I know, I know this was a, this was a busy year. This was a busy year. We were sort of calling it our year of the flat fees. We launched the book at the beginning of the year, uh, the master course, which contains Kimberly's actually actual contract is out. Uh, so we've done a, some podcasts already on uh, flat fees, webinars, courses, um, but we do get a lot of questions and uh, some of these are from the forum. Some of these are from um, some of our listeners that, that write in. So um, it's kind of nice to turn the tables on you. You're usually the one asking the questions and I get to today. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope I can answer them. Are you going to just read them out to me one at a time or something? Yeah. So okay. one of the, let's start with this first one, because this has been a big one because we've spent so many years with the, the 15 steps and working on the hourly fee contract and how to ask clients for, um, your design fees at the end of the month when you've already put in that time. And sometimes those bills can be kind of big, but, um, a lot of people want to know, how do you have the courage to ask for the flat fee you really think you need? Oh, it's true, right? Because it doesn't matter what method you use to calculate a flat fee. Um, if you can't ask for the amount of money you need in order to run a profitable, successful business, you shoot yourself in the foot before you start. So the way I describe it uh, for myself uh, when I was first starting out is that I would be able to come up with the number that I knew that I needed. Let's let's keep it simple and say you're doing someone's kitchen and you know, based on other experiences, that a kitchen takes nine months of your life and it's an intensive nine months. And when you go back and you look at the fees that you build for the last kitchen you did, which took nine months of your life, you build $40,000 of fees, let's say. In my office, that number would actually be higher. We'd be close to $60,000. So now it's time to do a flat fee and I'm standing there facing the customers. Do I have the courage to say I need $40,000 to do this job or don't I? 
And the truth is what happens for most of us is we know we need $40,000, but we're scared. So then we start what I call the internal negotiation. Well, I know I need $40,000, but I'm really afraid I'm going to lose this customer if I say $40,000. So maybe I can do it for 30 if I'm super duper fast. Yeah. I can do it for 30. I'm going to say 30. And then we're just about to say 30 and we go, God, 30 seems really high. And I really want this job. And uh, this is in a neighborhood that's perfect for me. And just imagine how gorgeous it's going to look on my website. You know what? I can do it for 25. And oh, 25 still seems kind of high. Uh, so I'm going to say I can do this for 19,000. And and that comes out of my mouth. And the client goes, oh, 19,000. That seems like a lot. Well, the client's going to say it seems like a lot no matter what you say. Honestly, no matter what you say, the client's going to think it sounds like a lot. So we now are in a position where we have to deliver nine this project that's going to take nine months of our life, so many meetings, so many hours, so much responsibility and liability for $19,000, which is ensuring beyond a shadow of a doubt that we cannot make money on this project. When instead, what we need to do is have the courage to say, the flat fee for this job is $40,000. And I, the trick that I use that helped me get over that is, I call it paper courage. I write the number down in my contract, and then I read it from the contract to the customer, and I can show it to them written down. That, I found, gave me the courage to ask for the amount I needed, and then I have to be quiet while the client goes through sticker shock, which they will. They always will. You you would do it too. And again, it doesn't matter if you're asking for 5000 or 25000 or 75000 There's going to be sticker shock. And the fact that someone has sticker shock doesn't mean they don't buy something, right? It just means you need to give them a moment to get over it. And we've talked a lot about sticker shock. So they're going to go 40. Whoa. Okay. Wow. Tell me about that. What's involved. And then you can tell them about your 15 step process and how it's linear and organized and you're going to manage everything and they don't have to lift a finger and you're going to pass on your discounts and all of that is only $40,000 and you're going to get yourself a customer. So I would try the paper courage technique, Write the number down on your contract, turn that contract around to face the clients, and then read the number. And that will prevent you, I think, from waffling when you finally state that number. Does that make sense, Cheryl? It does. And you know what? Uh, to put it into perspective, and you'll be able to tell the story better than I can, but I always like the example that you give when you were younger, you'd figure out if you needed pencils and paper for school, you'd ask your dad for exactly $12.13, and your brother would just walk up and ask for $200 and you'd basically go through the same process to get the money. But at the end of the day, he had the $200 and you had the the 12, 13 or whatever, it's whatever so it was. true. That used to have, my brothers are older than me. So the one brother is 12 years older. One brother was nine years older. And I was telling him how I used to hate asking dad for money because it was always a fight with my father it was always a fight. And you'd have to hear about how he picked cotton and couldn't go to school because in the, in the, in the springtime when the cotton was ready, they had to miss all their classes. And um, so money's hard to come by. And it was this whole big, lecture that I got every time I asked for money. And I would only ask for exactly what I needed. And then my brother came along and said, are you kidding me? When you ask for money, you have to ask for a lot more than you need because it's going to be the same fight. So that way you don't have to have the fight so often. 
And I thought, oh my gosh, that helped me so much with customers. You know what? I If there's going to be a fight, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes for fight, of course, because we don't fight with our customers, but if there's going to be some discomfort around a number, you might as well make it the big number that you actually need versus half of what you need, in which case you just can't win. So yeah, so learn to have the courage to ask for what you need. And ultimately, customers uh, will get on board with that, I think. Perfect. Um, So this question, I'm actually surprised that it doesn't come off come up more often, but it came up on the last uh, webinar that we did. And it's which do you prefer flat fees or hourly fees? Oh, yeah. You know what, I think it doesn't come up often because there's a there's an understanding out there in the world that I don't like flat fees that I only like hourly fees. And that stems from the fact that originally business of design only taught the hourly fee contract. And the reason for that is because if you are new, if you are struggling with systems, you are much more suited to using an hourly fee contract. It is dangerous for you to to use a flat fee contract when you're not really comfortable in your systems and your procedures. So I started on purpose with hourly fee contracts to make sure everybody had a foundation. And then with the flat fee, we're using the same 15-step process, just a few small changes, and then you have your flat fee system as well. So which one I like depends on the job. Uh, if I think it's a client who is going to want to spend a lot of time discussing every single thing I select for her, I will always do an hourly fee project. If it's a client who, uh, two, let's say it's a couple, both of them are working, both of them have extremely limited time, I'm happy to do a flat fee because they're really hiring me to make this problem go away for them and they're going to make very fast decisions. So flat fee is great. I like them both. Uh, I use them both. And sometimes I just trust my gut on which one I should go with. So uh, if if in doubt, stick to your hourly fee contract. This next question is, uh, is one that we get a lot from people who are either new to business of design or uh, new to the, uh, to the industry and haven't already done a lot of projects. Because you talk a lot about... Um, even on a flat fee, recording all of your hours, and you use that information uh, to calculate future flat fees because you actually know the time that's going to go into it. Um, But for those who don't necessarily have that experience, haven't been tracking that thoroughly, can I calculate a flat fee based on square footage? Okay, yes. The answer is yes. You can calculate your flat fee based on square footage. Some of the same issues still apply. You still have to have the courage to ask for the big number. You have to ask for the big bucks. Um, but what you'll do during the consultation is measure the room. Let's just let's just keep it simple and say that it's one single room. It's just a living room. And that living room, for example, is 500 square feet. It's a nice big living room. Now, all you have to do after you measure the size of the living room is determine a base dollar amount that gets you to the fee ultimately you want to collect. So that can be anywhere from, I've heard people in the industry use $4 per square foot, which is exceedingly low. And I've heard $30 and $40 a square foot. In my office, we are anywhere from 15 to 25%, really based on the overall size. So we can lower that percentage on much greater square footages. Uh, But when it's one room, like the living room, 500 uh, square feet, go high. 
for instance, at 500 square feet, if you're charging uh, $25 as your base fee, your design fee is $12,500. And if it's a living room and you're just doing some decorating, that might be fine. And remember, we have two flat fees. We don't do a flat fee from the, the time that I meet you to the end of the project. We just do it up to step five. So that would be $12,500 up to step five. If it's just a little decorating job, that could be fine. Uh, but if it's more involved, you're building built-ins, you're modifying the fireplace, all that kind of stuff, then you definitely want that number to be higher. The next question we have about project management, and this one we do get a lot um, from designers who either don't like the project management phase or just don't want to take on the liability. Um, And the question we get is that I don't want to do the project management. Can I just sell the ideas? (laughs) Okay, I get it. I really do because um, the truth of the matter is if my business model just allowed me to go up to step five every time and then walk away, that'd be kind of awesome. But there is a downside to that. And the downside for me, I have found, is that we never, ever get finished photographs of the job because once I let go of control, uh, things happen, substitutions get made, balls get dropped, and suddenly the project is a ghost of what I imagined it would be. So that's a bad thing, that you never are going to get those beautiful photographs. But it also means you're likely never going to get uh, repeat or referral customers because if you let a client manage a project instead of you managing it, they will not have a good time and they will think you're responsible for them not having a good time even though you're not there. So I do get why people don't want to do project management. Um, And the the other thing I want to say about that is you often hear it said that if you don't do the project management, but instead you let your clients order everything directly themselves, then you have no liability And I want to say emphatically that that is not true. If you suggest something and then allow the client to do it and something goes wrong, you will have liability. And the clients, if um, necessary, you know, if, if necessity demands that suddenly lawyers get involved, you will be named as someone they come after, as someone who guided the project and gave advice and things went wrong. And that's the sad truth. There is no piece of paper that will protect you from litigation. So my experience and my choice has always been to take control of the project, make a lot of money because I work really hard and I handle a lot of responsibility and liability and then cover myself uh, and make sure that it never leads to litigation because I have control of all the players. So I get why someone doesn't want to do the project management. I really do. But I think if for, for the many reasons I just described, it's kind of short-sighted. We get a lot of questions about scope creep. Why do you like it? How can you put a positive <laughs> spin on it? Um, how? Uh, just talk a little bit about scope creep because I think there's so many questions that we get about it. Um, it's, they just don't get it. <laughs> right. Well, they don't get it why I like, like it. Yeah, it, it sounds, sounds like, like a negative. negative. It's so funny. I think it's the closest I've ever come to a throwdown when I was speaking about business and design was over scope creep. Basically, a guy sitting in the audience said I was lying, that nobody likes scope creep. Um, but I guess I have to um, put it in some context. So in my mind... If you're following the 15 steps, at the moment that scope creep occur, occurs, what you are 
experiencing from your client is their trust. They have now come to see you as an expert. They're relying on you and they are going to ask you to do other things. That's my experience of scope creep. Now, if I decide to do those other things for free, then I'm not protecting the health of my business. And I'm teaching my client that they can add to my to-do list as much as they want, and I won't charge them for it. Conversely, if the very first time scope creep occurs, if I can have a direct, firm conversation with my customer and let them know that I will be billing them for that extra task or assignment, and no matter whether they like that or not, then I have solved that problem for the remainder of the project. And I very often have had clients say, you know, everything is going great with the living room, the dining room. And I know I said I wasn't going to do the entranceway in the mudroom, but since you're here and things are going so well, could we just add that? And my response is, yeah, absolutely. And the way that my flat feet contract is written, I'm able to add that and just bill them hourly for the extra time it takes and not have to stop the process or get a new contract or anything else. So that's why the contract is worded the way it's worded, so that when scope creep occurs, because it always does, I have never been on a flat fee project where scope creep didn't occur. It always, always does. And usually when it does, it's because we reach a point in the project where the client thinks, wow, she's showing up when she said she's going to show up. Her trades seem really nice. Why don't we just do these other things while we're at it? So it's usually a really positive thing. And I find most of the time when I hear people talk about scope creep, it's kind of like the client is trying to get away with something. Uh, But once again, I would say it's really not the client trying to get away with something that's the problem. It's the designer not speaking up and handling it that's the problem. So does that make sense? It does. And I think one of the bonuses to a flat fee is that you're asking for money up front and then you don't want to have to talk about money again. Right. That's, that's the. It's not that they don't like s- scope creep and the other, the additional work. They want to do that if they were getting paid for it and didn't have to ask for it. Right, right. <laughs> but I, th- I think that's um, it's supposed to be one of the bonuses. You get to ask for money up front and then yeah. one less thing to have to, to worry yeah, about and have but, the confidence to ask for over and over. now when the scope creep does occur, remember it says in my contract that here's what's going to happen when scope creep occurs. I'm going to charge you billable hours. So suddenly you are in a position where you have this flat fee contract. You've been paid up front for a good portion of it, but now they've added something and so you're going to have to add monthly billing to the process. Um, which is fine. I don't mind that. I don't, you know, there are ongoing expenses, freight, duty, shipping, those kinds of expenses come up all the time and we bill the clients monthly for that. So in addition to those invoices, it would be here's an additional invoice for uh, tasks not in the original contract. And that would happen. If the scope creep is really big, let's say that you're just doing the living room, but now they've added five more rooms, you could in fact stop you know, what you're doing and give them a second contract that's a flat fee for those five rooms. If you want to deal and get your money up front, you could absolutely do that. But most of the time, what I do is just keep going, but run it on an hourly fee basis. 
And and because you are billing for it monthly, in most cases, it will most likely only be a few hours here and there. And once they've seen the first one, they're going to decide to keep asking you to do additional things because they're okay with being charged or they're going to question it. And you're still only having that conversation the one time. That's right. And, and I've never had a client say, well, that's it. I'm never going to ask you for anything extra because you're going to bill me. They, they never do that. They always say, okay, I get it. That's great. I'm going to add some more. (laughs) Um, can clients purchase goods from you if they don't want to hire you for project management? Oh, yeah, that does come up sometimes. And I I think I'm going to guess that part of that is driven by the client. And this just happened to me. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, The client who says, can I use your discounts? If we hire you to do the design and then when we want to do all the purchasing ourselves, can I use your discounts? And my answer is no. Uh, That discount is mine. It is a perk of being a frequent and volume customer and... um, I don't just allow anyone to use my discount. So um, I I don't recommend you do that. And for a whole bunch of reasons, I don't recommend you do that. Well, and that also affects your relationship with the suppliers. Sure. You know, they give you a discount because working with you is so easy. You know the processes, you know how to... follow up. So, well, and the, the situation I found myself in more than once was when, when I first started out and I let that kind of stuff go on is the client would place an order, but wouldn't be thorough about it and something would go wrong. So then suddenly the client's mad at me because the hardware is oil rub bronze instead of antique brass, but I'm not the one that placed the order. So I'm getting in trouble and I'm having to go back to the store and try to make it right. I don't have any money in there, uh, but now I'm spending my time and energy to correct a mistake that shouldn't I shouldn't be involved with anyway. So it's just a bad practice, I would say. Um, at the presentation, you ask for the project management fee. You also ask for a retainer. And you ask for a deposit on the goods and services that they're about to order. Right. How do you do that? <laughs> that's usually, in my experience, that's easier than asking for that first flat fee at the consultation. So now you've done the presentation and they go, wow, we love it. We want to do everything here. And you know what the number is. Let's say you've done the presentation and the amount that you've presented is $125,000. So now I know exactly what the project management fee is going to be based on. So the calculation is easy. I know exactly what deposit to ask for because when I do the presentation, I present the numbers and I know exactly how much of a deposit I'm going to ask for. And then I always get a small retainer to cover incidentals like shipping, moving, duty, freight, uh, cleaners, that kind of stuff. So it's just a simple accounting exercise at that point. And by the time you have wowed them at step five, they are completely on board with your methods, it's never a struggle to get that second big check. Never, never, never. Um, So this one you can talk about more generally as far as how you um, have a bit of a sliding scale for this, but what percentage would you charge if a budget is $250,000? And we get that question a lot, but the budget changes depending on what that um, member is currently working on. We do use a sliding scale because on projects where the client is spending a half a million dollars, I can lower my project management fee because there's so many economies of scale. And on a project that's really tiny, I create pretty high project management fees because it means I have to drive back and forth to their house to just deal with one room, which is 
you know, it's a little bit more wear and tear. It's a lot more wear and tear on me and my staff. So you can use anything from 10% to 30% and higher. We find the sweet spot is about 25%, although we can go a bit lower on projects that are over a million dollars and um, still come out feeling really good. Um, The important thing, I think, to note is when you do that project management fee, this is where the fact that you share all your discounts really matters because your discounts will almost always add up to more than your fees. So on a project that's $400,000, let's say my discounts are easily going to be $60,000, $70,000 and my design, design fees might be somewhere in that neighborhood as well. So it becomes really kind of a how can they afford not to hire you exercise versus how are you going to ask for that much money again. So do think about creating um, kind of a sliding scale for yourself where if it's one room, you use kind of 25 to 35%. And if it's um, a whole big project that's over, you know, whatever your number is, for us, it would be over half a million, then we can lower that to 20% or something like that. Okay. Um, Maybe you can talk a little bit more about the retainer. One of the questions we get a lot is how is the, or why don't you charge a retainer for a flat fee? Um, And how is it used differently? Right. With an hourly fee contract, the retainer is really critical because it's your only insurance that you're going to get paid for your time and your expertise. So that retainer is there to make sure no matter what happens, your design fees are going to be paid. And And the only reason I know that's going to happen is because my contract is very clear about what happens in the event Uh, the project is terminated for any reason. And what happens is I'm going to get paid first. And then if there's anything left over, it's going to go back to the client, but all of my bills are going to get paid first. So that's why in an hourly fee contract, the retainer is so critical. And the number one reason people call me for emergency coaching is because they did not ask for a big enough retainer. The clients owe them thousands of dollars and are now saying they're not going to pay. And it's very, very challenging in that situation to make it right. Where if you have a big enough retainer, you never, ever will be in that situation again. The thing about a flat fee contract for steps three to five is you're going to get all of the money up front. So you don't need a retainer because you're getting 100% of your money up front. And then the only reason I ask for a retainer at the end for project management is because there's going to be some ongoing cash flow issues. There's going to be expenses, movers, cleaning fees, duty, shipping, all those kinds of things sort of add up and take a toll. And if you really don't want to have to go to the clients on a monthly basis to ask for payment on those items, you could cover yourself with a retainer for a few months and then collect all at once sort of thing. So they're used very differently between hourly fee contracts and and, uh, flat fee contracts. And just sort of to uh, wrap up the last, the last question that I have, um, how do you determine if a, one of the reasons we've been talking so much about flat fees this year is that more and more clients are asking for flat fees, but how do you determine if a project's going to be hourly fee or flat fee? Is that just based on the client asking? Uh, Does the designer have a say in how they work? 
Right. Yeah. A lot of clients are starting to ask for flat fees because clients are, are, are savvy and they know that frequently small business owners have trouble asking for the amount of money they need. And they know that that is, can be a really easy way to get them to do more for less. So be aware that sometimes a client is asking for a flat fee because they know it's going to be less expensive than if they ask for an hourly fee. Um, the second part of it, I would say is for that client who looks like they're going to have a hard time making decisions, never do a flat fee. And how I will present that to the customers, I will say, look, I'm happy to give you a flat fee. I'm going to charge a lot more to make sure I'm covered with a flat fee than you will pay with an hourly fee contract. So I strongly recommend you go hourly because I think it will save you money. And then they say, oh, okay, let's do hourly. And um, ultimately you have to decide, are they an hourly fee person or a flat fee person and don't do a flat fee um, because you really want the job and so you think you can price it super low and get the job. You may find that that's the job that ends all jobs uh, when you get yourself in trouble on a, in a position like that. So ultimately you, you have to decide whether or not it's hourly or flat fee, but discourage that customer you think it will be a mistake to have on an hourly basis that makes sense? It does. It does. <laughs> and, that's, and that's all the questions um, that, that I had for today. But I know that so many, especially those who have been with business of design for a long time that are so used to the hourly fee and very mm-hmm. set on, on sticking with that do have a lot of questions introducing flat fees um, into their business now. So um, again, the, the master course for flat fees is on the site now and use that forum. If you've got more questions following yes. this podcast, post your questions there. Um, Kimberly does. That's part of um, coaching as part of the membership. Kimberly answers all those questions personally. And I know we get a lot. <laughs> I know um, I'm starting to whine a little bit, but I'm really not. <laughs> Most of the time I'm like, oh yeah, I got this one. Sometimes they're challenging though. Um, they're, they're very project specific. That's yeah. one nice thing about the forum that it is, you know, exclusive to members. You can ask really detailed questions and and it's not always just the general, um, what would you do in this situation? It's very specific and um, people need help with the projects that they're currently working on. Right. But do be aware if you reach out to me on the forum and say, I have this job and can you tell me what to price it at? The answer is no, I really can't. Um, It's not meant to be um, me telling you how to price your job. If you need help like that, that's a one hour private coaching call. The forum is meant to be generic advice that helps everybody, but a lot of it is specific. Does that, I hope that I'm being clear on that because sometimes I notice people say, I don't, you know, I, I haven't read your books and I just signed up and I wanted, I want to know how to price this job I'm working on right now. Well, the answer is watch all the 15 steps and integrate every single one of those steps into your business. Um, and I can give you some initial go-to ideas, but I can't do your project for you through the forum. Just well, be aware of that. You, Most people are aware of yeah, that. Yeah, you just had a couple of calls. Um, yeah. The one hour coaching calls this week that were specifically, how do I price this project? Yeah. And within the hour, you guys came up with that. You had the flat yeah. fee contract ready to go for them. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't mind doing that at all one-on-one yeah. because I have to know some specifics, like tell me what the project is like, what's the problem. Anyway, I've got some Every project is know. different. Yeah. yeah, sometimes I need to know more information, but uh, do reach out to us via the forum. And you know what? The holidays are coming up. I hope everybody has uh, lots of lovely downtime planned. Uh, Next week's podcast, we are going to repeat 
one of your favorite podcasts from the year, and that was Isoon. Uh, Isoon Cook, and she's talking about how to sell that consultation at the beginning. So talk about a foundation step. I would say Isoon's podcast is a foundation to making your business rock. So that'll be next week's podcast. And uh, happy holidays, everybody. We hope to uh, see you on the community through the forum. Uh, We hope to see you at High Point. We hope to see you at live events around the uh, North America for the moment. Although, Cheryl, can I just we're trying to get you to Australia. I know, right? Our membership oh, is growing there like crazy. So <laughs> I want to go to Sydney. That's, There's so many fun places list. I want to visit. So yeah. if you've got a, an interior design group that's looking for a speaker in Sydney, I'm your girl. I do really well with jet lag, so I'll be there. Happy holidays, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, plus access to Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.